0: Thanks, Michael. I uh, want to add my welcome uh, to Lachlan's. My name is Rowan. Uh, great to see you here if you're new or newish amongst us. Uh, it's out kind of habit and pattern at Auckland AV to keep working through books of the Bible, see what God has to say uh, to us. And this week we, we start a series in 1 Corinthians that we began in 2012. Uh, so if you were here then, you would have seen that first bit. If you've missed that, you can jump on our website uh, and, and download the talks and listen to them there and see the first kind of six chapters. Or you can just read through the first six chapters of your Bible. Uh, that's great as well. In fact, probably better. Um, we've called this next series, Life to the Glory of God. And that's what that big circle behind me is. It's reminding us that all of life, all of what we do is to be lived in the glory of God. That's what life is about. and That's what 1 Corinthians, particularly 7 to 11, is about. How do we live life in a way that makes God look great. It's not that He needs to be made to look great, Uh, He is great, He made everything, He made you and me. But when broken people like us live the way God intended and put Him first, it makes God look good, doesn't it? Well, as we hit this part of the Bible, we we see it's written to another group of people, the, the, the church in Corinth. If you're kind of comparing churches throughout the Bible, the Corinth church is like the second worst church in the New Testament. Maybe there's some at the start of Revelation that might give it a run for its money, but they weren't a great church. They're a church with lots of issues. They claim to be wise, but they've missed the wonder of Jesus' death and resurrection. They claim to have every spiritual gift, but they've missed out on love. They don't care about loving one another. They claim to be mature, but some amongst them are sleeping with their stepmother and the rest are proud. It's the type of messed up church that this is. But the thing that we see is amongst all the kind of mixed up notions that they have, Paul still calls them part of God's church. Broken, rebellious, sinful and self-focused people struggling to live life God's way just like us. That's what they are. And so this letter is helpful for us as we come as broken people to understand how do we live life to the glory of God. So why don't we pray? That God would help us to think through what he's got to say to us here in this part of the Bible this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we've come together today, we ask that you would help us to see what you have to say in your word to us. As we think through the topic of sex and marriage and relationships, we recognize that that brings uncertainty and fear and guilt and shame for many of us. We ask that today we might see the beauty of the way you have made your world. That we might come away from this word by the work of your Spirit, challenged and encouraged, comforted and changed so that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the end of this talk, uh, if we've got a bit of time, which we should do, uh, we're going to have time for questions. Uh, it's a great topic to ask questions on. We're going to do it. Not, you have to put your hand up and say, how often should we have sex? Uh, but actually, you can text them. Uh, you can text them into the number that's on the screen up the top. I would love to have questions. This is a topic that we don't talk enough about. And here, God's Word addresses it directly. So please do ask questions. Well, we left the last section of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 with these words. They're on the screen. Chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Our bodies matter. What we do with them can have tremendous effects on our life, can't it? That's why we have laws to stop things like assault and abuse, and why our legal system protects things like marriage, to say that this is a unique relationship between these two people and no others. But I want to ask you... You might be here from different backgrounds, thinking through different worldviews. Why do we care about our bodies? Why? Why do our bodies matter? Society seems to define what we can and can't do with our bodies by the idea of consent. Society says, as long as you're happy to do it, as long as it makes you happy, you can do whatever you want with your body, so long as you don't hurt someone else. But God doesn't leave us to our own devices like that. He rightly doesn't trust us to know what's, what's best for ourselves. You've only got to look at the hurt and the pain that we cause one another to recognise we're not good at knowing what to do with our bodies. Broken relationships, affairs, serial one-night stands, children without a mum or a dad. Counselors' rooms are filled across this country with people who thought they knew what they were doing with their body, but have now realised they need help. God does not leave us on our own. The God of history, the God who made us, does not disown us. He doesn't abandon us to go, just do whatever you want and leave us to our own hurtful devices. No matter what we have done, no matter how broken our past or present or future might be, He lets us know in this part of God's Word that we belong to Him. We belong to Him. That is such an important concept to understand. Our bodies are not our own. You know, some of us, that might sound offensive. How dare you say anyone or anything else has a right over my body? But let me ask you, did you make your body? Do you sustain your heartbeat right now? Because there is one who did make your body and who does sustain your heartbeat right now. Can you choose to live for a thousand years? No. There is a God who is in control of all things, who made us for His glory, so that people might live His way, so that we would see that His way is right and best and good. Our bodies are not our own. And then Paul says, if you call Jesus your King, not only are our bodies not our own because they belong to God, but that He belongs in you. He belongs in us. At great cost to Himself, God, in the person of Jesus, died in our place to buy us back from the horrific consequences of living life without God. Literally, He brought us out of hell. Jesus died so that your body does not have to face hell for eternity. And then He took up residence in us. If you trust Jesus, not only does your body belong to God, but God is in you, in the person of His Spirit. What you do with your body matters. Paul couldn't be clearer. Now, I I love the idea of being an individual, of choosing what I can do, how I want to do it, of being different. Um, I remember a friend friend gave me a birthday card for my 16th birthday, which was a picture of all these fish swimming one way and one going the other. And the kind of comment in there was, there's always one. Thanks for being you, right? The person who swims against the fish, swims against the other way. I love kind of being a little bit different. It's always been, I don't know where it came from. I think my dad never let me wear things or have a haircut that was trendy. And so in the end, I just kind of embraced just looking normal. And Maybe I thought that was different. I don't know. But for whatever it is, I, I, I like being able to choose my own way, choosing what I do and when I do it. But individualism at its heart is idolatry. It's serving me. It's saying I choose what I want, not what God wants. We cannot call the shots on our life or our body or our choices. Now I hope That's offensive to us. I hope that makes us go, who is this God? Because the answer to that question is, He is God. He's the God who is in control of all things and the God who tells us how to live life. He's the God who invented life. He invented our bodies. He sustains our bodies. Jesus died to buy them back from hell and so we need to come to Him recognising He is in control. He is the one who, we serve. What Paul is saying to this Corinthian church in its context so far and to us is, you were made and remade to serve God with your life. You were made and remade to serve God with your life. Serving God with your life is the best way to live. It's to live according to the manufacturer's operating instructions. It's to live in line with the way that God made us. And so if you're here checking out the things of Jesus, I want you to see how good God's plan for us is. It's offensive, yes. It's always offensive to be told I'm not in control. But the sooner we realise who God is and how right His ways are, the sooner we're, we're freed to enjoy life, the way life was made to be. So Paul turns to the question of what some see as ultimate satisfaction. He turns to the question of sex. Look at verse verse 1 of chapter 7. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. Part of the pride of this kind of Corinthian church was to abstain from sex. They thought it was like a badge of honor. And you can see this quote is something that they've written to Paul and he's responding to them. While one brother was kind of saying, look how free I am, I can sleep with my stepmother. And some of them were proud of that. There was like another camp amongst them that for their for their pride was saying, look, I'm not going to have sex at all, not even in my marriage. I'm going to be so super spiritual, so kind of given to God, I'm not going to have sex. And what Paul is saying is, no, no, <laughs> that's not the way to live life to the glory of God. And what we see is that sex within marriage is good. Now, much of what I have to say uh, this morning from this part of 1 Corinthians is uh, about marriage. Uh, some of it is to those who are married, but it's helpful for us as a congregation, as a church, to understand what marriage is. And I want to frame it that marriage isn't the only way to glorify God. Marriage is one way to glorify God with our bodies, singleness is another. You're not a, a, a better and more fulfilled person being married. Just ask a marriage counselor that question and I'll talk with all the people that they're chatting to about how hard marriage is. And you're not necessarily better off being single, though Paul would say there's some advantages. We can glorify God and have a full life, a totally full life, whether we're married or single. And what Paul focuses on now is to those who are married. And he says this, sex is good. Sex is good. Look at verse 2. Because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. See, some people think that What Paul's saying here is that sex, it's not to be enjoyed for its innate goodness in marriage, it's to be really an insurance policy against sexual immorality. Have sex so you don't sleep around. Now there's a a truth to that, but that's not the story of the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 5.18 on the screen, uh, take pleasure in the wife of your youth. Do you see that? Pleasure. It's pleasurable, it's good, it's something to be enjoyed. A Song of Solomon, 4.10. How delightful your love is, my sister, my bride. Your love is much better than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. As you read through the Old Testament, the new, you get this, this sense that, that sex and marriage is good. It's to be enjoyed. It's not just, you know, just for the duty, although there is a duty, we'll see. It's to be enjoyed with one another. The Bible says sex is good. Sex is good. And here Paul is outlining the best sex, the only way that sex should be used. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. That's what to have means there. It means sex. Each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. In the face of a world that everyone does whatever they want with their bodies, Paul says, no, sex is for marriage. And marriage is for a husband and wife. That's why wedding vows, the traditional vows that we have, say to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. That's, that's why they say to have and hold, because it's a promise of physical intimacy. It's what it is. It's a promise to have sex together, to love one another. And the context of sex, says Paul, should always be marriage. Always. And it's clear here that marriage is between a husband and a wife did you see that there's no such thing in the bible as same-sex marriage no there's same-sex relationships yes but marriage is exclusively male and female and to go any other way here is to claim independence from god is to say no i want to redefine what you have set up in genesis 2. sex is for marriage and marriage is for sex it's not the only reason that we're married for sex but it's one of the reasons To have sex outside of marriage doesn't make you married to that person. That's what the Bible calls sexual immorality, right? Not expressing sex in the way that we should. Uh, A guy called Christopher Ash. he's a great preacher. He's a guy that um, is in the UK, has written this fantastic book on sex. It's like this thick. We had to read it in fourth year college. Um, It's 360-something pages um, of what sex is. And he titles the book, Marriage, Sex in the Service of God. As he looks at the Bible and kind of goes through what the Bible is saying, he's got two chapters on methodology. He's kind of it's deep study in what the Bible is saying about marriage. He says, "Marriage is sex in the service of God." Let me read you his definition. It's on the screen, and I'll go slowly. Marriage is the voluntary sexual and public union of one man and one woman from different families. This union is patterned upon the union of God with His people, his bride, the Christ with his church. Intrinsic to this union is God's calling to lifelong exclusive sexual faithfulness. There's a great definition of what marriage is. If you want to read more from Ash, he's got a shorter version of that mammoth book um, called Married for God, it's on our bookstore, you can grab that. Uh, it is really, really helpful. Um, lots of guys in my year including some who won't be named read the shorter version to get the longer version because it was quicker to go through right you can get the info from there but sex is for marriage and marriage is for sex it's one of God's ways to help us not to have sex outside of marriage to have sex in marriage right that's what Paul spends the next five verses making very clear so look at verse three A husband should fulfil his marital responsibility to his wife and likewise a wife to a husband. We live in a world that is consistently portraying men and women as people who are overflowing with libido. That's what the media says. Everyone wants to have sex left, right and centre. We're always waiting, always wanting, uninhibited, passionate sex is what should be happening. But the reality is that We're broken. Our world is broken. A proper understanding of the Bible and of who we are as broken people, of of sin and Adam's fall, helps us recognise that human sexuality, like every other area of humanity, has been hugely damaged by the fall. We must recognise that. Not every marriage is great, although marriage was intended to be great. Not every life is great. Sexuality and sex in and of itself is broken. And so, Paul finds the need to say to those who are married, make sure you have sex. It's funny, you don't necessarily think that's what he's going to say to start off with. He's saying in a broken world, the temptation is there to not have sex. And that's been my experience as, as I chat to people that, and my experience of marriage. is It's just easy at sometimes just to not do it. And Paul's saying, no, this is not what marriage is. This is not how God has made you. Sex isn't firstly for your spouse to simply gratify their desires. Sex is for marriage. Your sex is is actually to be used in marriage. It's part of the commitment we make to God when we stand in front of a public group of people and say to have and to hold from this point forward. It's to make sure that that marriage stays together. It's to serve one another in that, but it's to serve God in that. That's why Ash Christopher Ash calls marriage sex... In the service of God. It's obeying Him. God gives those who are married a responsibility to have sex. We must. But He does it by giving a profound reality about marriage. Have a look at verse 4. This is basically, in the Bible, this is unique to all of human history, this view. Verse 4, "...a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does." In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but the wife does. Now, in in this time that this was written, society would have said, yes, the woman belongs to to the husband, some sort of property type view, and we kind of cringe and like, ah, that's not right. Why is that? Why is that not right? I want to argue because that's not the way God made us. God made us equal in in God's image. We're to serve one another, and that is what the Bible says happens with sex, that The wife's body does belong to the husband, but the husband's body also belongs to the wife. That's the first time in human history that that is kind of held out, that view. Yet we'd say it's the kind of the backbone of lots of the the feminist movement of today and the equality movement of today. It's actually grounded in the way God made the world. In the same way, the husband's body belongs to the wife. Now, what that means is this. The way I serve God in my marriage is to love my wife by letting her call the shots on what I do with my body. Say it again. The way I serve God in my marriage is to love my wife by letting her call the shots on what I do with my body. It's hers. Particularly with regard to sex. We're to serve one another. Our bodies don't belong to ourselves. Occasionally, Sarah... um, you know, be getting dressed and putting something on, and saying, "Oh, does this look alright?" And I, you know, I feel fat in this. Uh, and I say when she says that, "Stop, stop talking." Uh, what do I say? Uh, stop talking about my body that way. How dare you call my body fat? Right? Because you, you should not do that. And I'm offended at that. That's my body you're talking about. This is, that's what marriage does. We belong to one another. We, we, our bodies belong to each other. Now, this is not a trump card for men to say, "I want to have sex whenever, whenever." Or for women, for that matter. The framework that he's talking about here is about service to God. Glorifying God with our lives. That's why sex is firstly for the marriage. Your pleasure becomes your spouse's pleasure. Your aim is actually to have your spouse enjoy you. And, and their aim is to have you enjoy them. And it's not only do that when one of you is, is loving the other one. It's saying, this is what marriage is. If you're here and you're not married and you're thinking about marriage as a possibility, marriage is saying, I commit to you because I commit to God for the rest of my life to serve you and love you, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. That's what it is. It's not, I promise to love you as long as you love me back. No, it's a promise to God to serve one another. And that's what marriages should be about. Not saying, I want this. I want that. You need to fill my needs. No. When I find myself thinking that way, which is often, I need to stop and repent and say, no, my role as I serve my God is to have my wife enjoy me, to serve my wife as I serve my God. Under Him, of course, in the ways that God has said, but that is my role. It does not matter what happens the other way. My role is to serve them no matter what. Your pleasure becomes your spouse's pleasure, and vice versa. Notice, Paul never says anywhere, husbands, make your wife fulfill her marital duty. See that? Nowhere does he say, wife, make your husband fulfill your marital duty. The command is never to the spouse to make their spouse do what they want. It's always to serve. Don't hear the Bible here giving us any position to say, you owe me. It doesn't. Marriage is about serving God by serving the others first, of your own accord. The role of a husband is to think through how he might love his wife, and the role of the wife is to think through how she might love her husband. We're consistently trying to please God by pleasing our spouses in ways that He has set up, no matter how much they pleasure us. I want to say sex is not to be used as a bargaining chip i think sometimes you can fall into that pattern unless you give me sex i'll look at porn or have an affair so you've got to give me sex no that's not what it's about don't do that repent of that if that's been you go home and apologize tonight or the other way around i'll only give you sex if you clean the house put your clothes away make dinners for a month and buy me flowers once a week no no that is just as wrong just as wrong. We're given to serve one another. Our bodies belong to one another. And Paul says, sex in marriage should be regular. There's lots about sex. I don't know how many times I've said that word already, but there's lots, right? I'm feeling like, whoa. But hey, it's here. Sex in marriage should be regular. It's how God designed marriage. Look at verse 5. Do not deprive one another sexually except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of a lack of self-control. Because our bodies belong to one another, Paul is saying we should have sex. That that should be the norm. It's not like, oh, you know, once every year or two years. It's saying this should be normal. And in fact, the only exception that he gives to that is to saying, well, you could abstain from having sex to pray for a while, but then make sure you're regularly coming back together. It's funny, uh, the worldview at the time, there's these Jewish writings about what regular sex meant. And it's quite funny because it kind of starts that, um, it says if if someone is around the home all the time, it should be daily. Uh, If someone has like a a job that requires them to go away occasionally, it should be every second day. Uh, If someone is an an ass driver, I kid you not, like a a donkey driver, uh, weekly, Camel driver monthly, and then it's got a a, a sailor um, every six months. So it seems like the common area in the world's expectation at this point, if that's to be taken as what was kind of norm at that point, what regular kind of meant, according to this kind of Jewish rabbi at the time, it's saying daily or every second day. Now I'm not saying we should do that, and I'll talk about that in a second. But here Paul is saying the only concession to regular sex is prayer. Man, so many marriages in our world are so prayerful, aren't they? right? We, 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 that, that must be the only reason we're stopping, right? That we spend time in prayer, no. What he's saying here is not that this is the only way. I think if it's for one another, you need to be caring for one another, having that, that chance to say, oh, I don't really feel up to it tonight, can I do it another night? That's fine, that's loving one another and, and the spouse going, not a problem, I'm here to serve you and the other spouse going, I really want to serve you but I'm just not up to it tonight. So, you end up having these arguments, no, not now, no, not now. Paul says keep being regular but some of you who particularly in this context who were um thinking through our we want to be super spiritual or saying i want to stop and he's saying well actually if you do stop it needs to and and you're stopping to remind you to pray a bit like we stop to eat in fasting to remind us to pray that might be a good way to do it you could stop so it reminds you to pray every time you think about sex which apparently for guys is once every eight seconds but every time you think about sex is to go no i'm going to pray that could be helpful but paul says only do that for a time then get back together That's the concession that he says. That's why he says, I say this, not the Lord, I'm giving you a concession. Be regular in sex. But here is the concession. Now, I want to say there's a whole host of reasons why sex might not be working well. And I want to set an expectation for those who are newly married or thinking about getting married. Lots of times we think that, oh yeah, I'll get married and it'll be brilliant. But actually... It takes practice, like anything takes practice. So, one of the things to say is don't have high expectations in your first year of marriage. Uh, Sex does get better, but just, it's going to be hard. Secondly, we do have physical conditions. There's there's realities that people struggle. Sex hurts for some people. And so, you do want to go and and talk to a GP. Go and see someone who can help you work through this to get it sorted. Don't just go, oh, it hurts, I'm going to leave it. This is something that we need to work through. And guys, particularly because this, this is generally our push, don't push your wife's wife to say, quick, go do this, like you're championing some great, I don't know, conquest. Love your wife. Care for her. Help her to work through these things. Um, thirdly, it might just mean you need to work on intimacy. Sex comes out of intimacy. We need to get emotional before we get Physical. Um, guys, I want to say this foreplay isn't saying, Are you awake? Like, that's not it. We actually, you know, hey, no, we actually need to be loving our wives and, and loving them in a way that they like to be loved. So, why don't you ask your wife, How do you like to be loved? How can I help you to feel like I'm loving you? Actually, have that discussion. Um, someone once told us, and it's really helpful uh, sex starts before breakfast. In other words, it takes a whole day to think through loving your spouse, and we should be doing that anyway, but thinking through how we can care for them. But I want to read to you, just to get the insight. Um, now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, I can't really imagine that couples um, that couples aren't having sex. For those that aren't married, we'd be like, of course you would be. That's, that's normal. I want to say, no, it's not. That's why Paul spends this much time encouraging people to have sex who are married. I want to say that, I want to give you a, a window inside what really is a sexless marriage. Um, there's a woman by the name of Bettina Arndt. She's got 150 couples to keep a sex journal to study the emotions and feelings behind sex. And in her book, she includes an, expert, sorry, an excerpt from a man who's in his 50s, who hasn't had sex since his 19-year-old son was conceived. So married, still in that marriage, 19 years, no sex. And then as a result of that, got to this point and walked out on his wife. But this is what he says... Try sleeping next to your wife night after night, not being able to touch her. Try watching her shower and dress and undress and not being able to have her. Try taking her out for a dinner and then the theater and then stay in a five-star hotel and, and not a thing. Try ballroom dancing for two years and not be romantically aroused. Watch her walk out into a room dressed so elegantly, wearing something that reveals her just perfectly and keep your cool about it. Try standing next to her and smell not only her perfume but the very essence of her. Try being Mr. Handyman, Mr. Gardner, Mr. Clean Up the House, Mr. Cook and Mr. Anything else to love her and keep her happy and contented. God only knows I tried to love her, care for her. I tried to understand her and appreciate her. I never had an affair. I never went to brothels or, any, or even bought a dirty magazine. I've been trustworthy, loyal and honest, always putting her care and safety first. She's been my focus, my life marriage is made for sex and sex for marriage if you are married make sure that you are committing to one another you are serving one another let me be very clear we need to now it's not right that he walked out on marriage because he promised to have him to hold from this day forward for better for worse for richer for poorer in sickness and in health our love for our spouse should never depend on their love for us but our love for God But I read that to help you see the importance of sex inside the world of a sexless marriage. It's not right that your spouse should make you beg like a dog for sex. It's just not right. Now, Before Paul finishes this section, he makes it clear that marriage is for life. And again, I want to say you can live a full-orbed life, just like Jesus did, and not be married. When uh, we'll talk through that next week as we focus on singleness uh, for the whole talk and what Paul says about that, but here Paul is describing particularly the essence of marriage, and he's saying that marriage is for life. Look at verse ten. I command the married, not I but the Lord: a wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. Marriage is for life. So Paul's saying, divorce is not really here, it's not even mentioned at all. There's the idea of separation for a time that always allows the possibility of reconciliation. Paul has no exceptions here. Marriage is for life. Now, in Matthew 5, Jesus does talk about sex outside of marriage being the only exception, but Paul doesn't feel that he needs to say this here at this point. What he's hammering home is, marriage is for life. When do you get the gravity of this? For, for all people to recognize. Someone else's marriage is for life. I can't break in. My marriage is for life. I can't break out. I'm to serve God. And God says that it's actually the best for you. Now, I've seen situations where couples had to separate because of abuse or anger. There was no adultery, but they separated. And both Christian people were working through their issues. I'm praying they can reconcile. But someone, uh, it was actually the, the son of this couple, came to me and said, it's just not fair it's not fair that mum can't remarry because of the way dad has treated mum in the past. And he had, he hadn't, he hadn't physically abused her, but emotionally he'd been a very angry man. He's a Christian and repented. But in the end, you've got to say, no, 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 but you promised for life. This is what marriage is. And there is a great point that you want to separate in that point. You want to pull those people away from hurting one another. Should she have the right to remarry? Should he have the right to remarry? no, no. Hold marriage so strongly because it is a picture of Christ in the church. There is no other. It is for life. So work hard on your marriages. Work hard. Every couple that we marry here at Auckland AV, I um, insist they go and see a, an external counsellor at a church. We work through marriage counselling uh, and talk through what the Bible says and, and think through that sort of stuff. But I want couples to go see a marriage counsellor when things are going well before they're married so that when you're married and things don't go well, you don't feel like, oh, do I really have to go see a counsellor? It's like, yes, <laughs> you do. You know, wait, I think more of us should go and see counsellors. Good ones, hopefully Christian ones that are going to help you work through what's actually going on, experts in relationship. But we need help, we need guidance. What we're doing is we've, um, we've got some videos that are really, really great. Uh, it's called How to Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. Um, they're helpful. Uh, we're going to put them on this coming Friday. They're going to be in, uh, in, at Epsom uh, in the Donaldson's place. So if you're a married couple, even if you're not, you can come along and watch uh, the first one of these. There's three parts. Uh, it is very funny, but actually quite helpful. But it's just good advice. The guy's a Christian pastor, but it's just good, helpful marriage advice. So if you want to come to that, stick down um, on your little Connect card there. Uh, I'd love to come to the marriage seminar. This, um, this Friday night, uh, it'll be 7.30 p.m. Uh, in Epsom. It'd be great for you to come along to that. So I want to end before we look at questions with six, well a few, a few things that can get in the way of good sex in marriage. Let me go real fast. Number one, pride. I don't know how often I won't say anything because I don't want to be the first to say something. Uh, We don't want to have the conversation about what gives us pleasure and pain. We speak too much as couples in code. Just go eat your pride, have the conversation together. What do you like? What do I like? How many times would you like to have sex? Have those conversations. If you haven't had them, go and have them tonight so that you might be able to serve God and live life to His glory in this area. Don't apologize for wanting sex. Don't apologize for saying, not tonight, dear, as well. Our bodies are not our own. Love one another. Second thing, porn. Um... Porn is so destructive to a marriage. It eats it out. It gives us unrealistic expectations. Even the secular world around us is now saying that it, it's not good for us. It breeds insecurity for, for everyone. It, it creates dissatisfaction with your spouse if, if you or your future spouse, let me say that. If you are in porn, looking at porn, go and tell someone. Ask them to help you keep accountable. The fact is that porn users make lousy lovers... It's just a fact. More, Most often, it's the porn user, not the partner of the porn user, who is not interested in sexual relations. Number three, past wounds. Depending on what stats you use, between 23 and 38% of women have been sexually abused. It's just reality. It's so important that you actually work through that with someone, to go and... See a counselor and talk through that. It's important that you talk through um, your sexual history with your partner. Not only the sins you've committed, but sins that have been committed against you. So that you might share with them. And, and you actually do need to be explicit and, and talk through, not just in some kind of euphemism, but talk through what's gone on. And it's very, very important. Your spouse needs to know everything because you are now one flesh. Fourthly, Poor relationships, and I'll say this is the last one. Most of the time that sex therapists spend with couples who are having issues with sex is spent on fixing communication, not on fixing technique. Most of the time is spent in fixing communication. Communicating how you're going, being free to say, I love you, I care for you, but I can't tonight, is, is so helpful. We need to be able to say that. There are seasons in life that are hard. Pregnancy, a new baby, they're hard seasons. You know, you'd think um, that adultery would begin during pregnancy, but actually it's not. It's it's after the child is born is when adultery happens most with new babies and those who are pregnant. It's when the wife gets infatuated and committed by the child. I know it's a full-on time. I know we're trying to work out which way's up with the baby, with ourselves, with life, but we must make sure that our relationship with our spouses primary and that's how we serve God. We need to get back together. Talk through that with one another. We need to honor God in our marriages. Paul is saying here sex is God's gift to marriage. It's the way God wants spouses to act and it glorifies him. So don't idolize sex. Don't make sex the main thing or marriage for that matter. Serve God with your body in whatever situation He has you in. Keep serving Him. Well, I'm going to flick over to questions. Um, there's a bit of time. And then we'll pray together and then celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Um, first question is there. As Christians, are we allowed to use contraception? Yeah, great question. Um, I think what you want to do is ask a GP about the effects of contraception. There are some contraceptives that have an abortive effect on children uh, and so you, you want to stay away from those like an IUD um, or the morning after pill. You want to stay away from those. Um, there are other contraceptives that uh, that stop either the, the, the embryo being, or the egg being fertilised or them actually implanting in the uterus wall. They're the ones that you want to look at. Um, so I encourage you to, to look uh, and talk to your GP about the effects on those. But yes, I'd say contraception is, is wise and good. Second question. Um, Jesus gave only one grounds for divorce. If a spouse commits adultery, is the innocent party free to remarry? Yeah, I think because of what Jesus said, yes. Um, adultery so distorts and changes uh, that commitment to one another and what has happened, uh, that the marriage is over at that point. Um, and that they are free to marry at that point. That'll be my, my quick take on that. Um, next question. Um, how can unmarried people help married people to serve God in marriage? Yeah, I, I think um, lots of different ways. By praying with them, asking them how their purity is going, uh, by hanging out with them, uh, so by you know, saying, hey, can we, can we spend time together? It's actually asking questions. what What's helpful, what's not in life? Uh, it actually is really helpful as a married person to chat to people who are single and for, to hear the struggles that single people are having and for the single people to hear the struggles that married people are having. Obviously, not all the details, but to recognize, oh, that's right. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. That actually, life is hard serving God in everything because I'm a broken person living in a broken world. I think that is really healthy. It helps me not to idolize singleness and helps the single person not to idolize marriage but serve our God. And that's great. So we want to be together. We want to not be like, oh, they're married. I must stay away from the married people. We'll have two halves of church, you know, the singles and the married. Not at all. We're we're brother and sister in Christ. We want to be serving together and we can be encouraged and and encourage one another in that way. Um, Next question. Um, Is masturbation sexual immorality? Great question. Um, I think the question is what's going on in your head. I think that's the key question. Um, I think within marriage, masturbation can be something that's used well, that the other party is happy with. Uh, people generally go to the part of the Bible where, I um, can't remember his name, spills his semen on the ground and that's seen as wrong. And the problem is he won't actually do his duty as the Kingsman Redeemer to who he should and actually give this woman uh, children. It's nothing to do with masturbation at all. Um, but I want to ask, what's going on in your head? If you are picturing someone who is not your wife, then that's sexual immorality, isn't it? <laughs> We're actually thinking through what we're doing with someone else. Um, So I think what you want to be doing there is saying it's unhelpful. It's unhelpful for marriage generally. Uh, There might be circumstances where it is helpful. uh, But I want to say, no, it's not a sin. Uh, Last question, I think. Yeah. Uh, If we're to serve our spouses in serving God, how do we ensure they don't become our idol? That's a great question. I think it's just like all of life. We need to keep fixing our eyes on who Jesus is. That's what life lived to the glory of God is about. That's what Paul says at the start of 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Life is about serving Jesus. And as I see Jesus and who He is and what He's done for me and what He's freed me from and that He's died in my place and that He's forgiven me, then I have a great hope in Him. So It's not by going, I need to focus more on my spouse. It's I need to focus more on Jesus and make sure I love my spouse because of Him. It's continually bringing things back, not to love for the sake of love, or even for the sake of their loveliness, but to love for the sake of what God has done. And I think the second thing in that is, you want to have friends around you that you can ask, do you think I'm idolizing my spouse? Um, Now often, yeah, that that could be the case, I, I think it's more often than not idolizing something your spouse gives you, a feeling uh a feeling of of, of companionship a feeling of friendship a feeling of pleasure that's what we idolize Uh, and i want to ask are you actually idolizing them but you need to think through you may be and you need to be serving god in all of that now i want to say for many of us here there might be all sorts of hurts that are going on as we talk through this i do want to encourage you to chat with your connect group leader come and talk with me uh talk with someone else today if there's things you want to talk through if you've got more questions um Sex is an area that goes to the core of who we are. Uh, And and misusing sex does affect our lives. It is sin, just like every other sin, but it does affect who we are. And so we need to come and remember what Jesus has done for us. That He died in our place, that He has forgiven us no matter what we have done. That our debt is paid for, that because of Jesus, if we trust in Him, God looks at us and sees us washed white with snow. Because of his blood shed for us. So, why don't I pray? And then we're going to sing together and celebrate the Lord's Supper together and remind one another of the great hope and freedom we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, as we've just spent time now in thinking through your word and how relationships should be played out, particularly marriage, we ask that you would help us to not idolize marriage, nor sex, nor singleness. We pray that you would help us to serve you in the way that we act in our relationships, that we might live for the glory of you, remembering our bodies belong to you. I want to give you great thanks for the gift of sex and the gift of being able to um, have relationships with people in marriage, in friendships. And we pray then that all that we do, we might honour you. Lord, for those that are feeling guilt or shame or hurt, we ask you would help us all to keep coming back to your Son, where sin is forgiven, where hope is offered, and where a life that is eternally right is portrayed.